talking about vintage values for today's family. And this morning we're going to talk about the importance of having resets within our family. You may remember at the beginning of the year, we taught through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The greatest message ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever preached, Jesus. At the conclusion of the Lord's, uh, Lord's Prayer, not the Lord's Supper, but at the Lord, conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 14, and 15, Jesus said this, he said, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive yours. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, then your Father will not forgive your trespasses. In fact, I want to make this our memory scripture for the week. I want to encourage you to memorize Matthew 6, 14, and 15. It's very simple. And if you have children, work on that with them this week. And kind of make that a little goal, something you can do as a family, something you can do with the Lord. Just memorize this scripture. In fact, if you would, I believe we have it up here this morning. Just say it with me. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's break down that ver those verses for a second. That word forgive means to let go, to send away, or to disregard. I want you to think about that in light of the scripture. When Jesus says to forgive, he's saying, let go of it. Send it away. Just disregard it all together. That word trespass, I, I never forget my first uh, consciousness of the word trespass goes back to uh, a Wednesday night service. When I was a kid growing up, my grandfather used to uh, do a, a Wednesday night you know, lesson for us, and then we would break up in three or, groups of three or four, and we would pray. I always went with my grandmother, mainly because she always had candy in her purse and let me draw and act up a little bit during church. But anyway, I would sit by her, and then we'd pray together, and she would always pray, Dear God, please forgive us of our trespasses. Now, I had no idea what that meant. I'll never forget one day I'm driving down the road in the car, and I saw a sign that said, No trespassing. And I was like, Oh, that's what Mama always prays about. And I asked my dad, what does trespassing mean? Why does it say no trespassing? So that means it's illegal to go on that property. So I immediately thought, oh, that's why my grandmother is asking God to forgive her. She's been trespassing on other people's property. <laughs> and so I literally asked her that. She's like, no, 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 that's not what it means. But the word trespass is kind of that fancy word. It just means to fall short, to fall short. Anytime we fall short of God's standard, it's called what? Sin. That, that ugly word. But God will forgive us when we ask. That's the good news. When others fall short of the standards within our relationship, what is Jesus saying? Forgive them. Let go of it. Send it away. Disregard it. Just as we need God to allow us to reset with him, we need others to do the same with us at times. When we ask God to forgive give us, he lets go, and so should we. Again, think about that verse. For if you will let go, send away, disregard, when others fall short, your heavenly Father will also let go when you fall short. But if you do not let go and disregard others when they fall short, neither will your Father forgive you when you fall short. has a lot more weight when you think about it that way, amen? So here's the thing, okay? We all know that we should forgive others. However, we're not God, are we? And we really struggle with this. Come on, get on your name, amen? I, I struggle with it. I, I'm preaching to myself this morning. Anytime I 
hear someone say, don't hold grudges, I'm like, man, I don't hold grudges. I'm thick-skinned. And then the Holy Spirit reminds me, oh, yeah, you hold grudges. There's some people right now that if you were to see them, you would want to punch them. And I'm like, you're right, Holy Spirit. (laughs) I do hold grudges. Sometimes it, it sneaks into our lives. And we struggle with letting go a lot more than we should, if we're honest with it. So with that in mind, let's look at this week's biblical state case study in, in this series, and we're going to talk about Jacob. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 7. While you're doing that, I'm going to remind you a little bit about Jacob. I love old Jacob, but Jacob was a little bit of a rascal. Let me remind you about him in case you've forgotten. The name Jacob, Jacob, it means heel grabber or cheater or one who causes others to trip. And here's how I got that name. He was the second born of twins. His older brother was Esau, born just a few moments before him. But as Jacob was coming out of the womb, the Bible says that he was grabbing hold of Esau's heel. So they called him Jacob, heel grabber, or cheater, or one who grabs. So literally what that means is if someone was uh, a Jacob or they were Jacobing you, it means if they're racing and you fall down, Instead of getting back up and trying to catch up, you just trip the person in front of you. I know y'all have never done that. But that was called Jacobing or heel grabbing or cheating, if you will. And really, when he was named Jacob, he took on that persona. Jacob was a cheater. In fact, one day his older brother Esau comes home after hunting all day, and he's worn out and he's tired, and he's so exhausted from his journey, he's about to die. He just barely gets in the house. He's fallen down. Jacob's the only one home and says, I need something to eat or I'm going to die. And Jacob is like, oh, sure, I'll get you something to eat. But first, you have to promise to give me your birthright as the oldest son. I mean, how sorry do you have to be, right? And so Esau's like, I'm going to die. What good is it to me? So he gives him his birthright for just a little bowl of soup, if you will. And, And so Jacob cheats him out of it. Later on, Jacob conspires with his mother, of all people, to trick his blind father. I mean, you're sorry when you're tricking a blind person, amen, right? And he conspires with his mom to trick his blind father into blessing him and giving him the inheritance of the older son. So Jacob cheats Esau out of the birthright and his inheritance, which in the ancient world was huge. That prompted Esau to say this in Genesis 27, 36. He said, is he not rightly named Jacob? Is he not rightly named Cheater? (laughs) Because he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. So what does Esau do? Esau vows to kill Jacob. He's like, I'm going to kill that boy. I'm going after him. And so his mama says, Jacob, you better get out of here. Your brother's going to kill you. So he leaves. And he's looking for a reset for his whole life. It's like, I've got to reset things. I've got to leave here. If I stay here, I'm going to die. I, I've kind of put a bad taste in my father's, in my father's mouth, you know. And, and my mom, I, you know, I, need to, I just need a reset. So Jacob leaves, and he goes to live with a relative by the name of Laban. And while he's there, he falls in love with Laban's daughter, whose name is Rachel. I mean, they fall madly in love. And Jacob is like, Rachel, I'm going to marry you, girl. And she's like, all right, let's make this happen. Well, Laban says, well, you got to work for me for seven years, and I'll give you Rachel, my daughter. And how many of you be willing to do that for your wife? Don't answer that, all right? I don't want to get you in trouble today. But that's a long time to work for, for a wife. Can I get an amen, right? 
My wife's worth it. Man, our wives are worth it. Amen. We'd do seven years. Amen. You better say amen. Amen. (laughs) Or wink or something, you know. But that's what he does. But Rachel's father, Laban, tricks Jacob. See, here's how an ancient marriage went down. It was basically just a big feast. Then they sent the bride and groom into a tent. They consummated the marriage, and they they were done. All right, this is how it worked back then. And so it's dark. And Laban says, I've got an older daughter named Leah. She's not very pretty, but it's not right to give away a younger daughter before an older daughter. So he tricks Jacob, sends him into the tent, and then he sends in uh, Leah. In the morning, he wakes up, and he's like, you're not Rachel. (laughs) And so here's what's going on. Jacob ends up with a wife he doesn't want, a woman he loves, mad at him. And she's also mad at her sister and her father. And and Jacob also has a father-in-law who seriously did him wrong. In other words, he is in a mess of a family situation. So think about it. Jacob leaves one mess and travels, and he gets into another mess. This is a guy who is constantly needing some resets in his life. And the only way to straighten out this mess is that Jacob agrees to work seven more years for Rachel. Now let me ask you guys... All right, would you work 14 years for your wife? And you better say amen, right? But then he just ends up, there was only like two amens. (laughs) Some of y'all are like, Pastor, seven, maybe. (laughs) 14, not gonna do it. All right, not gonna do it. Uh, But anyway, what happens is the two sisters constantly bicker. Their kids end up bickering each other for decades. And at one point, they have to sneak away from Laban because Laban and Jacob just keep tricking each other and doing each other wrong back and forth. Finally, Jacob's like, we just got to get out of here. And they sneak away kind of in the night. Once they're leaving, all right, Jacob finds out from somebody that Esau's looking for him. Now, why did he leave? Because Esau was going to kill him. And so Jacob is nervous, he's scared, and while he's waiting for Esau to show up, someone says, hey, Esau will be here tomorrow. So Jacob freaks out, gets alone by himself, and starts praying. While Jacob is praying, God shows up in the flesh, okay? It's a theophany, a physical appearance of God in the Old Testament, who we would know would be Jesus, okay? It's it's God in the flesh. Jesus shows up in the Old Testament to meet with Jacob, and what does Jacob do with Jesus? They wrestle. What what else would Jacob do, right? He's a hill grabber. He's a tripster. He's He's a cheater. He just goes to fighting with God. I don't know about you. Jesus shows up. Wrestling's not on the top of the list, right? It's just so weird. It's such a weird story. The Bible says they wrestle all night, and finally when it's done, Jacob is given a new name by Jesus. He gives him the name Israel. Israel means he strives with God. We have our own Israel here this morning, but his name means he strives with God. So God reset his whole life, or Jacob reset his whole life by receiving a reset from God. All that Jacob had done... Jesus shows up and says, Jacob, we need to reset things. That shows the incredible character and mercy and grace of our God. Amen. But he says, your name is no longer cheater, but one who strives with God. Or, more specifically, one who wrestles with God by the rules. You know why I think Jesus showed up to wrestle with him? Because Jacob thought he could trick everybody. 
Jesus shows up and says, let's go, boy. You don't know all the moves. I invented all the moves, right? I'm here. I think Jesus was talking trash all night long. Come on, that's the best you got. Let's do this. And they wrestled all night. Finally, Jacob realized, I can't beat him, but he does hang on to him as long as he can. Jesus says, I'm going to bless you with that. I'm going to give you a reset. So the next day, Esau meets him, and wouldn't you know it, they reconcile. And, they, and later on, they even bury their father together. So think about this. Jacob tricks Esau out of every inheritance he was due. Esau vows to kill Jacob. Later on, they meet, and they just kind of hug, and Esau's like, ah, come here. It's all right, you know. Only within family does that happen, right? Only within brothers. And if you ever had a brother and you ever had a knockdown drag out, you know what I'm talking about. So Jacob reset his whole life at this point. It's kind of the third reset. He resets when he leaves home. He resets when he gets there with Laban. He resets now with Esau. But here's the deal. His years of trickery had some consequences. In fact, because of all the poor choices they saw their father make, Jacob's sons make a lot of bad decisions. Jacob then kind of reverts to his bad habits later on when he has his 11th son, Joseph, and just flat out tells everybody, you know what, I love Joseph more than the rest of you guys. He's my favorite and gives him all these fancy clothes and says he's kind of in control of everything. And as you can imagine, that didn't go over real well within the family. So the 10 older brothers decide we're just going to kill Joseph and be done with him. But then they're like, well, if we kill him, we won't get anything from it. But if we sell him into slavery, we'll have some pocket money. <laughs> so they sell him into, into slavery, pocket the money, take his coat that dad gave him, put goat blood on it, and take it back and like, oh, father, your son is dead, you know. And so what happens along the way? Well, they did sell Joseph into slavery. But if you know the story, through the years, he rises to second in command in Egypt. He's in control of all the wheat and the grain. The ten brothers go back home along with the next youngest brother, Benjamin, brother number 12. And what happens back home? Famine sets in. And when you know it, God was orchestrating it all out so that the brothers would have to meet back up once again. And it's just an incredible story how the entire family, along with Jacob, our case study today, they all end up back in Egypt because of a famine. And later on, <laughs> crazy thing happens. Jacob is going to bless Joseph's sons, and instead of blessing the older son first, what does he do? He blesses the younger son first, and it just ticks Joseph off. So here's my point. My assessment of Jacob is this. He was a punk. Can I get an amen? This guy was a punk. I mean, this guy, just one thing after another, cheats his brother, conspires with his mother, lies to his old blind father, he tricks his father-in-law, he, he's a bad example to his kids, he blesses the wrong grandson. I mean, it's just over and over. This dude's a punk, he really is. And you would think when he finally died that everyone would just go off on him. It's like, man, he's finally dead. Here's what I really think of Jacob, except... The opposite happens. Look at Genesis chapter 50, verses 7 through 14. It says this. <clears throat> so this is when, when Jacob dies. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh. Now, this is like all of the royal family of the most powerful nation on earth. They decide, we're going to go to this guy's funeral. And it wasn't in town. They had to travel. 
the elders of his household and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers and his father's household, all the servants, all the employees, their family business, only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. And when they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. They cry, they wail, they sing songs, and made a mourning for his father for seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the flesh threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by even the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizram, it is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them, for his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. In other words, the family cemetery. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. I mean, here's the deal. This has to be the most epic burial in all of Scripture. There's even more fanfare here than when Jesus was buried. I mean, this is huge. All, all, all of the royals of Egypt, they load up their chariots, they travel down, they mourn for seven days, they sing, they cry, and all for who? This punk, Jacob. <laughs> And then, by the way, we kind of pick on Jacob, and we are this morning, but did you know this? 14 times in Scripture, at least 14 times in Scripture, God, the one whom we serve and love and worship, is described as the God of Abraham and Isaac and who else? Jacob. 14 times, at least 14 times, the Holy Spirit inspires the words to be written, I am the God of who? The cheater, right? The cheater. Now, don't you think about that? It's almost like God's dissing him. It's like, you know what? I'm the God of Abraham. Oh, man, I like Abraham. He's the father of the Jewish nation. Father Abraham, right? Oh, I'm the God of Isaac. Oh, he's the chosen son of Abraham between him and Ishmael. And the bloodline goes through him. Oh, and he's also who? The God of Jacob, the cheater. Yeah, it's almost like he's He's dissing him, but at the same time reminding us all that once we are in God's family, even if we act like punks sometimes, God will forgive us and use us for his glory. That's good news, amen? Because I don't know about you, I'm a punk sometimes, all right? Now, some of you are like, I don't ever act that way. You a liar. <laughs> we all act like punks sometimes, and I'm so glad that God forgives us. That's awesome. And I think we'd all have to agree the ability to reset is a very unique quality of the family, is it not? It's a very unique quality. God designed the family so that within it we could have resets. Now, why did God do that? That's really the point this morning. As we wrap all this up and put a bow on it this morning, I want you to understand something. Every family is unique. We know that. Some families consist of mom, dad, and their kids. Some consist of single mom or single dad and the kids. Some consist of just one individual, no spouse, no kids. Some families have stepmom or stepdad with kids that are yours, mine, or ours. Some families consist of a grandmother raising her granddaughters. And hey, that's just the families within our church, all right? 
That, that makes up our church right here. So here's the deal. Family is not always this cookie-cutter picture. It's unique. You find, by the way, sometimes family isn't blood. Sometimes family is by choice. Sometimes family consists of friends and neighbors and, oh, I hope, uh, fellow church members. I hope that you feel like this is my family. This is, this is my family by choice. I want to be here, and I want to interact with these people. I, I, I want to know them at their best and at their worst. I want to go through life with them because that's what family does. Family really is a relative term. We all know that. But one unique aspect of family is the ability to reset. That's when you know it's your family. You know when I know that a church member really loves me is when I make a mistake and they forgive me. Because I make mistakes. I've made a mistake, no doubt, in every one of your lives. But you're still here today. I thank you for that. I appreciate that. I want you to just stop and look around the room right now. Just stop and look at these faces, okay? Look around. Make eye contact with some of these, some of these weirdos here this morning, all right? Let's look at all of them. <laughs> you ever go to a funeral and think, really, this is my kinfolk, really? <laughs> this, is who, this is where I come from, you know? Um, now, here's why I had you look around. Once you understand, when you mess up, and you will, these are the people that will love you. Amen? These people will love you. This is where you get your reset. Now, I say that because I've been in ministry a long time. And now there's really two kinds of church members. Those who, when they get in trouble, they come here and say, I need my family. And they understand how it works. And then those who get in trouble, and they leave. And they think, I'm embarrassed. I can't come back. I can't. You, you missed the point. This is family. This is family. You get a reset here. You get a reset with God, you get a reset with us. Doesn't mean there won't be consequences because we've talked about that. But what we know is that, man, we have that opportunity for reset. I just think it's a huge blessing that God has designed the family in which we can have these resets. Jacob and Esau, you know what they did? They reset their relationship. Esau, <laughs> Jacob did him wrong. Esau was going to kill him, but they reset their relationship. But at the same time, I want to point this out as well. They didn't live side by side. They reconciled, but for whatever reason, they could not, would not, or just thought it wiser to live in different locations. And the same thing happened between Jacob and his father-in-law Laban. They reconciled, but they also separated. Understand something this morning. Resetting doesn't always mean living happily ever after. It doesn't always mean that. But it does mean we are willing to ask for and provide forgiveness when relationships fall short. It doesn't always mean that we're all going to live happily ever after. But it does mean we ask for and provide forgiveness when relationships fall short. Joseph's older brothers at one point, by the way, were about to, uh, were about to kill him, you remember? They were mad at him. They decided to sell him into slavery just so they could have some money, told their father he was dead, and just moved on like nothing ever happened. But later when God brought them all back together, Joseph had an opportunity for revenge twice. <laughs> when they came back and asked for grain, he could have very easily said, guards, take them out. They're evil, they're wicked, 
There would have been no discussion, and they would have been eliminated. He could have exacted revenge. And then after Jacob died, after this huge funeral, here's what happens. All the brothers say to themselves, surely now Joseph's going to get us. (laughs) Surely this will be the time he exacts his revenge. And look at what Joseph said in Genesis 50 and verse 20. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Praise God, Joseph was more honorable than his father Jacob. <laughs> really was. If it's me writing, I would say, the, the, uh, I, I am God, the, I am, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac, and I would have just skipped over Jacob and went to Joseph. But that's not how our God works. He cares about everybody. He cares about us, even when we act like punks. I'm so thankful for that. And so here's my question to you today is this. Who do you need a reset with today? There's someone in your life which you need a reset. Maybe it's within your marriage. Maybe it's within your family. Maybe it's with your children, with your parents, a co-worker. Hey, a fellow church member. I don't know. Who do you need a reset with today? Or who needs a reset within a specific relationship? Or who needs to allow someone to reset? I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where someone did you wrong and they were trying to ask for forgiveness, and you're like, I'm just not ready yet. I'm just not ready yet. We've all been there. Who needs a reset? Who needs you to allow them to reset today? Or who needs a reset with God today? Resets are a part of our life. We need them sometimes. Now, I want to say this, and I, I like to give this disclaimer because I think it's very important in situations like this when you're talking about forgiveness. It may not be wise to allow someone who's done us wrong or harmed us or abused us. It may not be wise to allow them back into our lives, but it's always Christ-like to forgive. One of the most powerful, and guys, I've been a part of some incredible, incredible services through my life both here and and throughout my ministry, and especially in camp settings. I think one of, if not the most powerful camp service I've ever been a part of was actually at a kid's camp. We used to call it junior camp back in the day. And I was given the task to preach to these second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth graders about forgiveness. And so kind of the typical, you know, approach was to ask them to ask God to forgive them of the things they've done wrong, you know? But I'm like, I mean, they're second graders, okay? They're third graders. I'm sure they've done some bad things, but I mean, it's not, they're not like teenagers who are just rotten, amen, right, you know? <laughs> um, but they're, 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 they're junior campers. But here's where God led me in the message. God led me to ask that group of kids to forgive the people who had done them wrong in their lives. And and I I didn't know why God led me that way. I I couldn't quite understand it, but it was very clear that's where the Holy Spirit was leading. That's the message I preached. Got down to the end, and I'm telling you, every adult was looking at me like, this is way over their heads. I don't know why you're talking about this. And I I just pushed on. I'm doubting myself. I'm not doubting God. Get down at the end, and I said, listen, if someone's done you wrong in your life, you need to do two things. Number one, tonight, you need to forgive them because there's power in forgiveness. And number two, you need to tell an adult that you trust so that we can help you. 
so that we can get you out of that situation or advise you in that situation. And I said, How, if that's you this evening and someone's done you wrong, someone's hurt you, someone's abused you, I want you to come to the altar right now and ask and, ask, and just forgive them. Ask God to forgive them because there's power in that. And then I want you to go to talk to a counselor. And I was thinking one or two kids would get up. Let me tell you, the altar was flooded that night. Adults came to me that night and the next day for hours telling me about kids because of that message had come to them and said, someone's done me wrong, someone's abusing me, someone's mistreating me, someone's doing me wrong. And it, and it led to a lot of powerful uh, good results. Here's my point today, guys, that forgiveness is powerful. Sometimes we even need to forgive those that we don't need to be around anymore. Are you with me, church? Sometimes it's wise to move away from a relationship, but it's always Christ-like to forgive. There's power in that. There's power in it. And I believe this today. I believe that what we need to do is embrace this quality that God instilled within the family that is resetting. I honestly believe this. I've preached it many times, and I think Scripture backs this up 100%, that a, a relationship between a man and a woman and a family is the way, it's the picture that God wants to present himself to the world. God is trying to show, when you look at a, what a, when you look at a bride and a groom, you're looking at a picture of me and the church. It's a picture of the relationship that God wants to have with mankind, where it's, it's, it's one God and it's one person, and they are together for all of eternity. They pledge their love to one another, and they're pure to one another. The same is within the family. When we enter into a relationship with God, we become part of his family. We're spiritually adopted in. And within this family, God has given us the ability to reset with him and the ability to reset with one another. And I can't help but think that one of the most powerful messages we can portray to the world today is to show the world we're willing to reset within our families. We're willing to forgive. We've got to be wise about it. We've got to make good decisions about it. We don't allow people back in our relationship that are doing us harm and abusing us, but we can forgive them. And we will refuse to hold grudges. And we'll forgive offenses and let them go because that's what God has done with us. I believe that's a powerful, powerful message to share with our world, especially today, because you know the world does the exact opposite. The world takes every single issue and makes us divided against one another. And I am so sick of it. <laughs> I'm kind of like Popeye. I've had all I can stands, and I can't stands no more. Amen? <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, I, 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 don't, I don't get it. I just don't get it, and I'm so upset. Why in the world would we take every issue and now make it a division? Why would we do it, okay? I understand you've got your opinion, and this tribe's got their opinion, but let me tell you something. We're all part of God's family. We are. And, and, and we're, we're allowed to have our own convictions, and we're allowed to believe whatever we want about certain. I, I understand all that, but guys, when we start fighting together that's the wrong picture to paint to the world see we're family and family we deserve a reset there are people within this room that if we were to set you down and start talking about issues whoo, you guys just start separating just like this 
Amen? You would, right? <laughs> You're even cut. I, see, that, that proves it to me right there. You wouldn't even say amen. You know, it's like, mm, I'm not saying anything. I'm mad, all right? Listen, what you need to understand is that we're different. We're not. We don't all have the same opinions. We don't all have the same view of certain things, but we all have the same worldview. It's a biblical worldview, amen? Our God, amen? amen. Our God's on the throne. He's in control. He's going to take care of us. And whether someone has the exact same opinion about something as me, doesn't matter. What matters is that we are in God's family. That's what matters. The world needs to hear that message. It needs to know that we don't always get along and we don't always agree, but we always allow a reset. We always say, you know what? I disagree with my brother or my sister over here about this thing, but man, I love them. I'd do anything for them. I'd die for them. You say, why? Because they're family. They're family. I'm going to tell you that me and my brother fought like cats and dogs growing up. Can I get an amen from Nita Foster? <laughs> we fought and we fought and we fought. Mainly because my brother was a punk, all right? But if he was here today, he'd say, no, you were the punk. And, and that's absolutely right. And I got to see him last night. His son got married. And, and, and I love my brother. We fought like cats and dogs. But I'll never forget, me and my brother had been into some kind of scuffle about something. I mean, we were mad at each other, weren't talking. And we were at church and up in our youth room, and me and another kid were wrestling. And this guy uh, got a move on me and got me down. And we were just kind of messing around. But my brother walks in the room and thinks this guy's on top of me. My brother's five years younger than us, way smaller, and he just runs as fast as he can and like a bullet just dives to the air and knocks this guy off of me and just standing up over the top of him, you know, weighed all of about 70 pounds, <laughs> you know, and this guy could have got up and just crushed him like that, you know, and we all just started laughing. He's like, what, what? I was like, man, we were just messing around, but I was like, but you had my back. You had me back, my back. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. We always had each other's back. No matter how mad we were at each other, we were always there for one another. That's a unique quality of the family. Amen?